you would be just insane to say you're drafting, you know, Will Anderson over Bryce Young or Tyree Wilson over Bryce Young. Even if you think for their respective positions, maybe they're better players. You need the most valuable one. So you're falling behind if you're not making those same decisions, right? If you're looking at the first round and not baking in how much money you're saving against the cap if this guy turns into a good player. Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. Thank you for joining me. I have Mike Renner, draft guru extraordinaire from PFF on here for the podcast. We're going to go through, of course, positional value, his thoughts on that, how he incorporates that into his draft process. I think doing a better job than pretty much anyone else out there right now. And we discuss a few different positions. We do our little bit of running back talk, of course, with Bijan. We talk about tight ends quite a bit. And I think tight ends are one of the most interesting positions when we think about positional value, second contracts, where to draft them. And this class has a lot to offer as far as that's concerned. Of course, we get into quarterbacks. He, like me, is more of a Bryce Young guy. But we want to get into the arguments around Anthony Richardson, how to think about him, whether accuracy can be fixed, if you should bet on those sorts of trades, we have all of that discussion there. And then we get into some, you know, talk about the, what I call the draft industrial complex uh, generally, which is how do you get engagement? How do you get people engaged in your work and excited about your work without being overconfident? How does group think come into play? Are we going to see that with Anthony Richardson on the high side now versus what we saw maybe on the low side with Justin Herbert in the past and how he thinks about building together everything that he puts into place now he receives and incorporates feedback from the market, from other opinions out there and what he's doing. So great episode here. I think it's going to be extremely helpful for anyone thinking about this draft and how they should view draft rankings, evaluations, all that stuff overall, big boards, all of it. Uh, follow Mike on Twitter at PFF underscore Mike. Again, I have a subscription to PFF still, former PFF guy. Love to get a hold of the draft guide and everything that he's doing there. If you or new to the podcast, uh, go ahead, you know, subscribe, do all that stuff here. Uh, you can find these also on YouTube. And if you want to get hold of my research, a lot of stuff I look at are type of topics that we discuss. And so if I go into more detail with some visualizations uh, on the Substack, it's unexpectedpoints.substack.com. You can find all of my research there. All right, enough of me, uh, uh, you know, rambling on over here. Let's get to Mike Renner discussing everything 2023 NFL draft. All right, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Uh, former colleague, former teammate, I guess we want to go if we go that far at PFF. So thank you for joining me. I'm glad to have you on here. And we, we talked about it slightly beforehand because I'm gonna have some questions around maybe some critiques, uh, poking <laughs> some holes, perhaps in a lot of what I see out there in the draft world. But I know that you're thinking critically about a lot of this stuff that's going on here. So you're the perfect guy. Uh, to help me out on this on this journey here. Are you ready? Yeah, I I, I like getting critiques. Now, I, I don't like tweeting something out and then someone just saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I, I like people like challenging my beliefs of the draft and whatnot, because like that's how I approach the draft is I'm challenging, you know, what NFL teams are doing is kind of like how I position myself. So someone challenging that and challenging me, uh, I'm more than happy to to have that discussion. Well, I think it'll be like half challenge, half, uh, you know, backslapping about how your process differs maybe than some others out there and why I agree with it a bit more when it comes to, 
you know, big boards and rankings and all this sort of stuff. Positional value, of course, is the big thing everyone's going to be talking about in there. We'll, we'll, we'll get into all that stuff. We'll get into some prospect stuff. I think mostly for quarterbacks, because I'm interested in not only your take on these particular quarterbacks, and I've seen your rankings on there, so obviously I, I kind of know where you're coming from on there, but also some other ideas that are floating out there. An article, I don't know if you had a chance to read by your colleague, uh, Timo Risque there about Richardson. Uh, I think Sam also wrote something recently about maybe going Anthony Richardson number one, what he would do. So we'll we'll get into some of the theory behind that because um, I have some takes in that in that area also. But let's let's start big picture here. And when you are approaching the the whole process of going into ranking these different players, and I'm going to talk about ranking them in a big board style, because a lot of the big boards and the critique that I have of them is that there's a grading process, which may or may not, it seems like it mostly doesn't account for positional value. And then the big board is placed or the rankings are placed and it's just rank ordered guys based upon grading. And then when it comes to how positional value fits into that, either the the draft evaluators don't really believe in it that much or it's like you figure it out yourself so so how is your process differing from that and how is it similar to that yeah it, it definitely i'm definitely taking in positional value when it comes to the draft board it's to me it should look like if i'm building a team who am i like literally taking you know and, and if you have zero so you have zero players at any positions and if you have zero players at any positions and you're in a class like this with the quarterbacks that they are, you would be just insane to say you're drafting, you know, Will Anderson over Bryce Young or Tyree Wilson over Bryce Young. Even if you think for their respective positions, maybe they're better players. You need the most valuable one. So I, I do think that is kind of how I'm basing it off of it. And in the draft conversation, you're falling behind if you're not making those same decisions, right? If you're looking at the first round and not baking in, how much money you're saving against the cap if this guy turns into a good player for me that I don't have to pay uh, to that position in free agency to get an impact or wherever it may be. So uh, that's how I'm looking at the board. I don't have a hard, fast science to it, I'll say, um, in terms of where it's more just like I make those decisions in my head of like, hey, this guy, I see him as a very good guard, but I see this guy as possibly a very, you know, a slightly above average tackle well, I'll take a slightly above average tackle because that has way more value. So like, that's kind of how I'm making those decisions uh, when I'm ranking the guys. Uh, but I do think there is still value or is still a place to put a number on to know the historical context of how good this guy is to just put like, you know, Bijan Robinson's what, you know, seven, two or whatever. And that's the highest grade you've given to a running back in a decade. I still think that's important and matters, but it, it shouldn't be what your draft board looks like. It should just be to keep your scouting sort of self in check and make sure you're not overinflating expectations for every po prospect that you watch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the confusions that I have is that, um, uh, whatever, I'll just mention names here. So is, for instance, Daniel Jeremiah will come out with his rankings i believe i believe it's not called a big board so maybe that's probably just called rankings and then you know whatever it's twitter i'll make some snarky comment about you know Bijan robinson being number three on there and then people yell at me saying well it's rankings it's not how you would draft them but then i see other people will, who will explicitly throw up grades and then tie them directly to like where they should be drafted so i guess my, my thing is I'm just confused. I'm just confused. Like, do you think when Daniel Jeremiah says he's the third best player in there, and then he's also followed that up by saying 
you know, he he's a guy who could go in the top five, deserves to go in a top five, top ten. Like, what do you think he means by that? How should I be interpreting it? I think he himself does not care about what position a guy plays until it gets to like long snapper, kicker, punter, right? Like uh, that's like, that's when it starts to matter. But I don't think he himself cares about where you are in a football field. It's just where you are compared to your historical at your position, which is fine. It, it, but when you rank them in that order, it means nothing, right? It's, it's a meaningless sort of exercise. Then if you're not going to put your money where your mouth is, and say he's third on my boards. I draft him third overall in this class. Then I think you're doing the public a disservice and really just confusing them to say otherwise. So uh, I, I just think that's how the draft was done, though, for so many years. Um, it's just you have the grade. That's how you stack it up. Um, but I do think we're getting around to the point where we need to be a little bit more honest with the fans that we're uh, putting these rankings out to. I mean, in, in, in DJ's defense, I don't think, like, again, I don't think he's quite saying as much that he wouldn't take them there as much as other people are jumping in and being like, no, that's not that's not where where he would actually take him. And I guess it brings me to another point. And I think we've seen this, like the whole running back discussion we've had as far as how to pay them on second contracts, um, whether it's when Zeke's deal came up or Christian McCaffrey or Derrick Henry or Dalvin Cook or whoever's coming up along the way. I mean, the NFL has kind of already moved, right? They have already moved to downgrading and devaluing these. It feels like within the media, there's more of a discussion about, you know, Derrick Henry's the most important player on the Titans or something like that. And that's how he should be paid. How much of that are we also seeing on the draft side? Because I talked to um, Benjamin Robinson recently who tracks mock drafts and he's seeing probably for the first time when we have one of these running backs who's really being graded in big board in the top five, top 10, but the mock drafts are really pushing him down vis-a-vis where the big boards is. There's a huge separation there, which we hadn't seen in the past. Is that also maybe more evidence of the fact that the media is saying, well, we know this guy's going to go later, but we still kind of believe he should go earlier. Yeah. This is the, this draft will be a great litmus test for that. Right. Because if you just look back, you know, five years ago with Saquon, going number two overall three years ago, it was Josh Jacobs, but like those GMs are gone. You know, the team teams have seen, saw what happened there to, uh, to Mike Mayock saw what happened to Dave Gettleman saw how those franchises got mismanaged and said, Oh, you know, maybe, and two guys who are hits, you know, Saquon and Josh Jacobs lived up to the hype, right? Like they're good running backs in the NFL and yet it still hasn't mattered. And so, I think this draft, especially when it's a really deep class, when there's some guys who, you know, five years ago were Bijan's a top 10 pick and it's not even, uh, no one's even debating it, right? It's hardly getting any airwaves uh, calling him to do B cell. So I do think you're seeing the movement. How much will it move? It still remains to be seen because I, I don't know. Because, you know, Bill Belichick with the 14th pick might pick Bijan because the Falcons, you know, the run heavy team in the NFL, they might, number eight overall might pick Bijan. We just don't know. Yeah, so this class will be a great sort of first wave or first test to how much new NFL GMs and like the new uh, sort of thought process of, you know, a lot of analytically driven GMs that have proliferated around the league, how much they actually do buy into it or how much they don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you only need one, right? You only need one Mm -hmm. to to put in that card. So. Sometimes it, it, you don't even know if it's representative of the entire league and how they how they view things. And there's probably, 
you know, a little bit more of a of a gradations between how different teams view different players. Okay, we we've done the running back thing. I know, like, <laughs> I, I've got it done with the running back thing. Honestly, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Um, you know, I'm just gonna say, like, for Bijan, I'm just gonna say whatever. If you, it, I wouldn't take him in the first round. Okay, but if you want to, you make that argument. That's fine. You know, that's that, that's. I'm, I just don't think there's anything new. There's no new ground to uh, there. I am interested in yeah. some of your rankings though, in some other places. Cause I remember, I think before I actually started PFF, I talked with you leading into which one was TJ Hawkinson? What draft was that? Um, that was 2019, I believe. Might've been 2019. So we had Hawkinson yeah. and Noah Fant. Both of them went in the first mm-hmm. round. Hawkinson, obviously very early. What was he? 10? No. Eight. 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 Eight might be closer to what their actual draft positions are versus what we've seen in the past. I believe back then for Hawkinson, I don't know if it was a Hawkinson specific thing about maybe his traits, but you were pretty down on the idea of a first round, especially first half of the first round tight end Mm -hmm. and the value you can get there. Has your opinion changed at all about tight ends? Is this prospect specific? I'm interested in your read here. I think there's so few that are worth it. And and I, Hawkinson, with where he ended up at the big board, I thought he was worth it. You know, obviously not ETH overall. And, and I think that's come to uh, somewhat fruition, right? He's been, he was a top three tight end in receiving, I think, a couple of years ago. Like, he's the type that I think if you did a redraft, he'd go in the first round yet again in that class. So uh, I think that's fair when you are that talented, though. And I think so few guys are is the problem. Like, it's just a position where, there's not a lot of guys I see making that kind of impact at the next level. This class is an outlier and that I think it has two that I truly think can be dynamic featured players in an offense. And it comes back to what I would say is like, if you want, you know, tight ends that move the needle produce like wide receivers to produce like a wide receiver, you also have to move like a wide receiver. So you, you have to be able to get open on your own. It's the big thing that so few tight ends prove in college. Um, because that's, that's where you separate yourself. That's where Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey's because you can run him on option routes. You can run him on stuff over the middle of the field and just know he's getting open. If it's one B one, that is, you know, again, count on one hand right now in the NFL, the amount of guys that are like that. I think Don Kincaid is one. I think Michael Mayer is going to be one. And so that's why I have those guys ranked where they are after that. It's a deep tight end class for sure. But that's kind of, to me, the separator of, whether or not I'm willing to invest any sort of high draft capital in in that position. Yeah. You know, I've looked at trying to do these surplus value calculations and part of it is difficult because there's a small, small sample of first round tight ends and let, and let's say, and they just haven't been that successful um, over time. I mean, maybe if you go, like I said, Hawkinson's been decently successful as a guy who would draft number eight, but I mentioned Ebron before he was someone who went very early the 2017 draft. It was OJ Howard, Evan Ingram and David Njoku who went there, you know, not, not a whole lot there. Uh, I mean, maybe if you go way, way, way back in time, you can find some guys, but even guys like Brandon Pettigrew, uh, Dustin Keller guys who were in the first round, didn't really do that great. Maybe Vernon Davis, I guess, who was one of the top ones ever, um, 
drafted before Kyle Pitts. He, he looks pretty good. But how much of this is just like circumstance that these first round guys haven't worked out versus, I mean, if you would have drafted Travis Kelsey in the first round or George Kittle in the first round <laughs> instead of so much later, it would have been fine, right? I, I do think it's, I don't think it's circumstance. I, I think there is almost, I don't want to say a problem with how the NFL evaluates tight ends, but I, I just think it's different in what necessarily wins at that position is not what the evaluators start to covet. When you when you got guys like Hayden Hurst going in the first round, you I just think you have a misallocation or just a misappropriation of where uh, where the value actually is at the position. And the value isn't like all around ability, right? It, just because a guy's well rounded at tight end, I think that's pushes guys up boards too often. It, it's true dynamism that's valuable at that position. It's the ability to make something happen after the catch. It's the ability to get open on your own. Those are two things that, again, so few guys at that position have. And people want to draft O.J. Howard because he's fast and he can block. And it's like, well, can he run a route? Uh, we never saw that on his tape <laughs> at Alabama. Yeah. So, And obviously never saw that in the NFL either. So that's that's the biggest thing with me is that I just think they they kind of – the how tight ends are scouted right now, they just overvalue things that don't end up being impactful on a football field. Another thing that that – I've always thought about with tight ends. And again, you have this thing where finding the right one seems to have been difficult, or like you're saying, they're using the wrong, some, some of the wrong evaluation to find the right one. Um, but yet if you do find the right one, they can have somewhat of a slow start to their career. I guess for Kelsey, it was more injury than necessarily having a slow start to his career. But once you get on that second contract, because of the fact, like you said, you can count on one hand, how many guys are truly elite. Well, then you have a franchise tag based upon the top five salaries and whoever's four and five are not that good. Whoever's three and two may not have signed a contract in the last three, four years. These guys are pretty cheap on their second contracts too. And I feel like they're also maybe a better long-term like second contract type of player than a lot of positions who are going to shoot up into the mid twenties, high twenties now uh, $20 million a year for these different non-quarterback positions. Yeah, and that's the biggest difference between them and running backs, right, is that they're kind of in a similar pay scale yeah. on second contracts. They're, they're, you know, tight ends that make that much more than running backs. Yeah, franchise tag is pretty ends, similar on them. Yeah. yeah, but the tight ends on their second contract get better, right? Like the, your second contract as a tight end, you are in your prime for three, four years at minimum. There's no drop-off in that, whereas running backs, you've already reached your prime. Your prime's your two, year three of your rookie deal. So the investment, you know, first round pick on a tight end, a guy like Dalton Kincaid, you think he's that special. All of a sudden, like you're almost, you know, 99% chance he's produced on his rookie deal. He's going to want to resign there because he's obviously getting featured. And then when that's the case, you probably are getting it for cheap because the top of the market's so low comparatively to the actual value they're bringing to the table that guys like George Kittle, guys like Travis Kelsey are massive surpluses when they're healthy on the football field on their second contracts compared to, you know, edge, wide receiver, where they get paid how much they're actually worth. Those guys get their numbers inflated a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think it's always interesting to look at the franchise tag to figure out sometimes where these guys can be values or not. How about wide receiver? I think is also one where even I can't quite figure out because it seems like there's a lot of guys, especially second round guys. Again, this may be a lot of just circumstance when we talk about Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel, those types who have gone in T. Higgins, I guess, at the beginning of the second round have gone 
in the second round have been pretty good guys. You could all make the case like they should have been drafted earlier, but yet at the same time, it's much harder to find your tackle, your edge, maybe even your pass rushing interior defender in the second round where you can find these wide receivers. So how do you weigh those two things versus each other where receivers and now receivers have stepped up on the pay scale too recently. Do you want to be taking them or do you think about the opportunity cost? If you're going to pass up on the tackle that you just can't get in the second round. I think you still want to be taking them. I do think it's just, it's an arms race in the NFL, right? Because it is so valuable. Like the reason that their salaries are going up is because people are realizing, Hey, if I have, you know, I, I have a Cooper cup, all of a sudden I have like a slot machine. Like I got, I got a guy that I just know can turn me offense. And that's where the NFL is going is having like two, three of those guys. And so they're not letting these wide receiver ones go hit the open market and go make impacts elsewhere. Um, it's rare to see. So um, I, I do think that you've almost swung to the point where the NFL is seeing it on par with kind of how we are last year. Like last year, you went, what, 8, 10, 11, 12, 16, 18. And guys who at 16 and 18, Jahan Dotson and, and uh, gosh, Traylon Burks, were – we're back in 2019 would have been second rounders, right? Like 2019 draft was after three or four straight bad drafts of wide receivers. Teams had been like, we just don't know how to scout these guys. Only draft, you know, Hollywood Brown, Nikhil Harry in the first round, Debo, AJ Brown, TK all go in the second deep, Terry McLaurin in the third. That's like, that was to me an overreaction of, you know, the previous few years of drafting. And now we swung back completely the opposite side of the pendulum where, this isn't a great receiver class. I think Jim Nagy tweeted out that he's talked to teams that have one first round grade in this receiver class, but four are still going to go because it's just teams have realized that I can't win if I have a receiving core that looks like what the Packers looked like last year, what the Bears looked like. You're just screwed in today's NFL because you need guys that are difference makers there. And so even if, they, if you have the guy profiles to like a number two and maybe not a surefire stud even at number two, I think that's still worth a first round pick because you're really trying to give as many options as you can to your quarterback. That's what's winning guys that can separate is what's winning. And so in this class, I do still think like Zay flowers, Jordan Addison, Quinn Johnson, JSN, like not great prospects, not complete prospects by any means, but it's still like you got to take the chance. You got to swing for those because, because you can fake pass rush with the blitz. You can't fake guys getting open as much in the NFL nowadays. Okay, so let's let, maybe we can talk about some of the specific names here for receiver because one of the conversations out there is, you know, like the slot only sort of stuff. You mentioned JSN. He's probably going to be the guy who I think is number one in the betting markets maybe to go first. I know a lot of people still have Addison being a little bit higher, maybe a, a guy who's works a little bit more down the field, but he's really small too, so he doesn't really fit the prototype sort of role there. And, you know, this, it can all get simplified, you know, it gets simplified like, Hey, Cooper cup's great. He's a slot receiver. So therefore it doesn't matter if a guy's a slot receiver. And at the same point in time, you know, people are going to compare him to, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, who's been great. He's been extremely valuable, but he probably went later than he should have, but he went in the fourth round for a reason, maybe versus some other guys. So there is again, that opportunity cost sort of things. How, where are you sitting in this discussion where we're not, we don't have to go to the extremes. We don't have to say it doesn't matter if you're only a slot only guy at all anymore because of these few um, successes, it probably matters less, but where do you think we are now in this conversation? Is it maybe being, you know, underplayed even at this point to say someone like JSN would be number one, the wide receiver one where we probably wouldn't have seen that even a few years ago. 
Yeah, I think I do think there's been a shift um, in the valuation of slot receivers. And obviously you just look at, like you said, Cooper Cup's contract and it's like, he's getting paid more than, you know, I think all but three non receivers, non non quarterbacks in the NFL right now. Yeah. And that's like, and he's just a slot and, and no one's ever debated if he's, you know, outside versus inside, like that he just is. But if you're good enough at it, it's still insanely valuable and more valuable than again, hitting on a, high-end tackle, hitting on a high-end guard, hitting on a high-end running back, hitting on high-end pretty much every other position. So I think that's the the where the NFL is seeing it. It's like, yeah, maybe it's not as valuable as your pure outside guy. You still rather have Devontae Adams, right? But if a guy's a sure thing in that regard, he's still more valuable than the linebacker I could have drafted, the safety I could have drafted. So um, that's why I like I have – JSN is the top 12 player in this class. And I fully expect him to come off the board in the top 15 this year because of that right there is that if you have a role for a slot in your offense, you just, you're not going to do better than a guy like JSN. Now you do have uh, Quentin Johnson a little bit higher. So I assume that's something where if all else was, you know, if, if you just ignored the the slot sort of considerations, I don't know how you do that, but let's say, let's say you're doing <laughs> that somehow, somehow, um, maybe you would have, maybe it wouldn't have that, that rank ordering. I mean, it's 10 versus 12. So we're not talking about a huge thing here. So I assume he is still getting some sort of boost into his profile because of the fact that he's, you know, six, three, six, four, whatever he is and 210 pounds. Yeah. And, and that's, that's just like how the NFL works, right? These guys yeah. who are smaller and this class is chock full of them look great in college, but there's certain things you just can't do with that guy in the NFL. And especially when you are getting down towards like Zay Flowers, it's like a six foot wingspan. That's the amount of guys with six foot wingspans really producing at a high level is like Tyreek Hill. Um, and then that's it. <laughs> you know, like there's just yeah. not a lot at the NFL. Maybe Tyler, I think Tyler Lockett's around that range too. Like that's, you got to be high, high end to make an impact there. Whereas, just like when you have, you know, so Quinn Johnson's six foot ten inch wingspan, that just gives you a lot of room for error. Um, it's and size will definitely matter when cornerbacks get bigger at the NFL level. They're all 190, 195 plus. You're you're just dealing with a different caliber of athlete. So uh, that's why I like Quinn Johnson. Is I think at that size, he's insanely explosive. Maybe not the fastest. Obviously, his 40 was great, but like he reminds me a lot of just like a bigger Brandon Ayuk, where Brandon Ayuk wasn't a full tree route runner coming out, but you saw it at times. You, you know, you saw the ability um, and the ability to get open. So, yeah, I, I, I just trend more, obviously, still towards the guys who can win on the outside. Okay, and let's talk again as far as a role is concerned and what it may be worth in today's NFL versus others. I mean, I'm going to use a specific player on here. I'm going to I'm going to use Jalen Hyatt because you have him at let's see here, 77 in your in as far as the big board, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight wide receiver, eight. It looks like on here, and how much of that is him as a player versus you know it's just like him, right? So if he was five years ago, 10 years ago, he would be the same sort of thing. And how much of it is maybe looking at, you know, the continuing shrinking of depth of target and how defenses are playing and the increasing importance of slot. You know, it's one of those things where 
you, you, it's a pie that everyone can get a everyone gets a piece of. And as you're getting more out of these other directions, maybe someone who's really this vertical ball tracking down the field type of threat primarily just doesn't have as big of a, a value portion in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit. That's a big part of it is that yeah. the game is going away from guys who can just get vertical. Right, you you have to be dynamic underneath. Like you have to be short area quick. Long speed is great. Everybody, this was a free version of a paid subscriber podcast at unexpectedpoints.substack.com, including all of my premium work here. We're talking about four or five articles a week. Please sign up at unexpectedpoints.substack.com. And if you cannot afford a subscription at this point, let me know. Either shoot me an email at unexpectedpoints.substack.com pts at gmail.com send me a note or leave a comment on the Substack, or hit me up on twitter at kevin cole triple underscore let me know that you're experiencing some you know financial hardship at this point i will give you a no questions asked six month subscription to the pod you can get these premium podcasts and all of my other premium content thank you so much for listening 